brutal game. Now, before I get into the sermon, I just wanted to share something really cool with you. In, in 1970, some of you might be familiar that there was a fresh movement of the Holy Spirit that was happening, happening on the West Coast of the United States of America. Started in California, uh, and it, it, was, it was the result of what happened during the 60s movement. And the Holy Spirit was alive and well, and it was called the Jesus Movement. As a matter of fact, much of the contemporary Christian music that we experience today, those genres were born out of that. Now, what's interesting is while that was happening on the West Coast, Asbury was experiencing full-blown revival in Wilmore, Kentucky in 1970, and it was breaking out there in the college and the seminary campus as well, and they basically met in the middle, and the whole nation was just set on a blaze in the power of God and the Holy Spirit. It was a fresh movement of God. Interestingly enough, uh, just uh, not less uh, than, than a month ago, uh, Asbury experienced a, a renewed fresh movement of the Holy Spirit, and it was in full-blown revival, and has been breaking out all over our nation and our country. Now, God can only do this because God's always on time, that somehow he ordained a movie about the 70s revival to come out at the same time that Asbury was breaking out in a brand new revival just this past month. Only God can do that. So what God is saying to you in this new movie called The Jesus Revolution is that he's saying to you, I am giving you an abundance of opportunity to help your friends and your family members not only discover Jesus Christ, but I wanna set this world on fire in a positive way in the name of myself. That's what God's saying. And here's just another opportunity to do just that. Maybe you've seen this movie, maybe you haven't, but here's a sneak peek, friends, and uh, I can't wait to see it. Let's check this out. Hey, Square. I am not a square. I think we should invite Greg this weekend. What's this weekend? These people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority. I think these kids need help. They need is a bath. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty. When God walks in here, brings me a hippie. I'll ask him what it's all about, because I do not understand. This house has a very good vibe. There is an entire generation searching. Slow down, man, slow down. Just in all the wrong places. If you want to reach my people, you need to speak to them in a language they understand. If I bring them in, who does my job? We can only walk through doors open to us. In your church, that's a door that's shut. Probably noticed we have some guests here today. I'd like you to meet my new friends. Welcome. They don't belong here. Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet. They need our help. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. That was awesome. Now that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then that door works both ways. All right, Pastor, let's begin. I was almost done with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare. This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're gonna need a bigger church. is a dark and divided place but now there's hope and it's spreading this is your home and i want you to tell all your friends about it so friends i want to encourage you to go see this movie take your family your friends invite somebody to go with you you might think well you know i don't my, my friends aren't into christian movies friends this is hitting the mainstream it's ranked 99 percentile on rotten tomatoes friends and some of you are like what's rotten tomatoes it's not just a fruit in your garden okay 
It's, it's actually the number one most sought-out site to determine how good a movie is. And they don't give anybody a 99%, and they've given it this one. So, so God is, is he's working through the secular world with his word. He's going to use this movie, and he's just continuing to give us opportunities to light the fire, friends. So let's keep stacking the wood. I want to encourage you to go see it. Um, Elizabeth and I are going to go see it today at 315. We'd love for you to join us up there at the Colony Square Mall. I'll even let you buy me popcorn. That'd be great. In all seriousness, though, if, if you're looking at your family right now and you don't think you can afford it, you come see me and we'll make that work and we'll get that figured out And because uh, we want you to go see this movie and uh, take, uh, take an, uh, just an opportunity to do that. Now, speaking of the past, I'm not going to go all the way back to 1970 to start this sermon, but I do want to go back to 1984 with a rock band called Foreigner. Some of you are familiar with Foreigner. And uh, some, some incredible songs, some Foreigner fans out there. All right, good deal. And, uh, and, and they had this one song that's just probably one of their number one hits and it just went like this. I says, I want to know what love is, right? Some of you are going to break out the song right now. I want to know what love is. And what? I want you to show me. Now, friends, that was a desperate plea for someone to just do just that. I want to know what love is, and can somebody possibly show me what that is? And friends, ever since then, and well before then, we've had so many love songs that have come along the way, so many romantic movies and novels that attempt to show us and tell us what it really means to love somebody. And it's a popular word that we use in this world today. We use it all the time. I mean, we talk about things that we love. I mean, of course, we love our spouse. I love Aaron with all of my heart. I love my children. And God has taught me a new level of love with my first grandson in Braxton. I just have such a love for my family, right? But then we'll say things like, you know, for me, I love the Cleveland Cavaliers. I just, well, most of the time I love them, but when they stink, I don't really like them at all. I love my Buckeyes, except for when they break my heart, right? I love bacon, except for, I just love bacon. <laughs> there are no exceptions. It doesn't matter. Spaghetti, pizza, put it on there. All that. I love bacon, right? We love our pets. We love our dog. I love the beach. I love the mountains, uh, friends. What, what do you love? You remember back in the day uh, when you were a kid and, and uh, you'd say, well, well I, I, I just I love my bike. And I said, well, if you love your bike, why don't you marry it, right? You remember that? Remember saying, well, if you, if you love it, why don't you marry it? Those kind of things. We, we have all this kind of idea about love. We toss this word around so much. Is it possible that there's not a word that's used more often than love, and there's not a, a word that's more misunderstood than the word love? Because if you look into our world today, and you see the level of brokenness in relationships, the level of brokenness in marriages, and estrangement in families, and, 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 and disunity and brokenness in churches and businesses and school buildings, and wherever you go, friends, well, friends, we really are still like foreigner back in 1984, only it's 40 years later. 40 years later. Can someone please show me what real love is? I think every single one of our hearts is hungering for an answer to that. Could somebody just really show me? I've, I've heard it before. Can someone just show me what really love looks like? We're all looking for love, and oftentimes we're all looking in the wrong places. We all want to be loved. And we talk about being a loving person, but then there's that person that's just so hard to love. So friends, what does love look like? And who's going to show us? Well, let's open up God's Word and find out answers to that right away, because we're going to do this, this whole sermon series long. But we're going to start in 1 John chapter 4, if we're going to want to know what love is. In 1 John chapter 4, God's Word says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. For where does love come from? Love comes from God. Uh, underline that, highlight that, circle that. You just got your first answer. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God 
whoever, uh, whoever does not love does not know God because God is, God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. How did he show his love among us? Well, we're about to find out. Lean in. Lean in. This is an answer to a very important question. People sing about it. Movies are written about it. Novels are written about it. This is how God showed his love among us. How did he do that? He sent his one and only son into the world that he might live through him, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loved us first, friends. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Friends, ought to is not just a suggestion. In, in, in the original language of the text, it's an urging. It's an urgency. We ought to. We ought not do this, and we ought to do this. And God is saying, you ought to love somebody. You ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. When we love other people in the name of Jesus Christ, people see Jesus. Not only that, God's love is made complete when we love other people. In other words, if we receive the love of God and never love a soul because of it, then, then God's love for us is absolutely incomplete. So friends, here's the, right out of the chute, right out of the gate, when it comes to what really love looks like, we need to understand this. Apart from God, we will never know what love really is. Apart from God, we will never know what love really is. That's why Hathaway wanted to know, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. What is love? You guys have seen, like, Not at the Roxbury or something like that, old Saturday Night Live, right, right, right? That's Hathaway asked that same question. What is love? He, he needed to know it so bad, he repeated it 600 times in the same song, right? Well, love comes from God. We know according to God's word. We know what love is. It comes from God. God is love, and being in a relationship with him and knowing him and allowing him to express that love into us and receiving that love, that's what love is all about. And yet he did that while we were still sinners. You see, love is understanding that while we were at our worst, God gave us his very best. Love is understanding that while God could have remained in the friendly confines of heaven, he came down to this broken, dark planet to be able to bless those that he created because of love. What is love? Oh, God is love, friends. Well, how does God show love? Well, we know he already told us. How does God show love? He shows love because you exist. Your existence is proof that God loves because he created you because of his great capacity to love. He created you as a means to be able to express his love to his creation by willingly sending his son to us as a living sacrifice to die for us. That's that's how he shows us love, saving us from our sin. You see, Jesus is not only a living sacrifice, but Jesus also shows us love by being a living example. Because when you look at Jesus, you find a life of love that we're called to in the same. And so in the life and death of Jesus Christ, he shows us what love is. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to take a look at the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as an example of what it means to really love, you know, Love like Jesus, really. We are really going to learn how to love like Jesus. Are we to love? Well, that's another question. Yes, according to God's word, we are to love. You see, God's incredible love for us compels us to love other people, and that completes his love in us, really. God's love in us is completed when we share it with somebody else. His love for us is so good, it just flows out of us. Well, how do we love? How do we love? That's the, that's the money question for the day, friends. You see, people matter to God, and therefore they matter to us because of God's love. And so we're going to look at the source of life and love in Jesus Christ, and he's going to show us. And so we're going to go right out of the gates in John chapter 13, verse 34. 
And Jesus makes this statement. It's a powerful statement, friends, and I'm gonna share the significance with you in just a second. The Bible says, and I want us to read this out loud together on the screen, you ready? One, two, three. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So friends, how do we love? We love as Jesus loved, and we loved as Jesus teaches us and shows us in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is God's love narrative through his son, Jesus Christ. And, and through his teachings and his examples in God's word, we learn from him as an example how to love. You see, of the 613 Old Testament commandments, did you know that there are 613 Old Testament commandments? God took those and whittled them down to the top 10. Remember we had this conversation last year in September? We talked about, we focused on one. Remember number four? What's, what's number four about? Now, I, I, I know, I know uh, our youth aren't here right now. Some of them are in, um, oh, what are we doing with them right now? We're, we're doing tra- confirmation, thank you. That's about, we're doing tra- training, teaching, discipleship. It's called confirmation. And we're doing that with them. And they're, they're learning the first couple commands. I was just told that. And, and number four is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's the longest command out of the 10. Well, anyways, we, were, we, were, we focused the whole sermon series on that last year. And remember, the first three commands are all about loving God and our relationship with God. And the last six commands are all about our relationship with people. And the fourth command exists to be the gap between bridging between what we know about God and how we're supposed to live with people. And that means we need to rest in the Lord, and he's going to show us the way. So he, he took 613 Old Testament commandments, and he broke them down into the top 10. He brought them all down into the top 10. And then you enter Jesus Christ, as he does one better. He takes those top 10 that were out of the 613 and he boils it down into one. He boils it down into one command. All of it comes down to the greatest command of all and that's found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 31 to 40, where it talks about loving God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind and all of your strength and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Danny Gokey just simplifies it, says love God, love people. Love God, love people. Jesus takes 613 commands that have been boiled down into 10, and he boils them down into one. By the way, it is a command. In in John chapter 13, verse 34, if we can go back to that, Michelle, if you can pop that back up there. He does not say a new suggestion that I give you, a new idea, a great thought to have, a wonderful way to live. No, he says a new command. It is God's command and design for our life that God brought to us through Jesus Christ to love God and love people. Because we know that Jesus came to bring a new covenant to fulfill the old one, a new testament to fulfill the old one, a new Passover to fulfill the old meal that we just shared today. And here he says, I'm bringing a new command to fulfill all of the other commands. It doesn't replace the old, but it fulfills the old. It fulfills all of the law with my love. And see, what God says here is that we're not commanded to love as the world loves. We're not commanded to love as our Aunt Tilly loves. We're not commanded to love as our boyfriend may define love or our girlfriend may define love. We are to love like Jesus, period. We're to love like Jesus loved. And so as we live in this this Lenten season, that is this season that, 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 that we approach Holy Week with, that started with Ash Wednesday two weeks ago, and we approach Easter, we're going to learn to love like Jesus, really love like Jesus. And so we're going to look at his example in his life, his death, and his resurrection, and each week we're going to focus on a different characteristic of God's love through Jesus Christ. And this week, can anybody tell what this week might be about? You guys are quick learners. How did you know? It's about 
You're gonna learn to love graciously as Jesus did. In John chapter eight, I wanna introduce you to a story that's gonna help us understand just that. The teachers of the law, the Bible says, and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and, and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Kind of like my proposal to Aaron. What say you, honey? Right? They're like, they're like what, what, what say you, Jesus? Right? What, what say you? Uh, what, what, do you, what do you think about this, Jesus? Right? So let's go to, uh, to uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we're going to read through verse 11, okay? And we've already read through, let's see, we've already read through verse 5, so let's pick it up in 6. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stopped. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. So friends, what you have here on the scene is you have the teachers and the keepers of the law. That's what it means to be a good Pharisee or Sadducee. They were the higher up religious authorities in the Jewish community, and they were there to make sure that you were a good Orthodox Jew, that you followed all 613 commands, and if you didn't, they were there to help you figure that out. So they were there not to just police themselves, they were there to police everybody else to make sure that you were good, uh, good Jewish believers in God. And so those 613 laws that were given in the Old Testament, the one that they're referring to in this woman needing to be put to death because if she was caught in adultery is actually found in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10 in the Old Testament. So we might look at this and say how, 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 how terrible this is, but they were actually being good Pharisees in this case. They were following through with the law and enforcing it. Now, their hearts weren't in the right place because we know that they were putting this woman and her sin in front of everybody as a public display in order to publicly set up Jesus because they just wanted to see how he was going to respond. And so Jesus uses this moment, this teaching moment as a classroom, as a case study for you and for me on how to love other people. You see, it's an intense moment, friends. I mean, could you feel it as the story was being read? It's an intense moment. Everyone has a stone in their hand. People are shouting at this woman that's down on the, on the ground in, in front of them that they've encircled, you know, stone her. She put her to death, and, and they're feeling justified by the law. They're feeling right in this, in this desire to, to end her life, stone her. And then you can imagine the woman on the ground just begging them, pleading for her life, this intense and terrible moment. And then all of a sudden, enter Jesus. Enter Jesus. You see, in all the tension of the moment, in all the chaos, and, and, and all the expectation, all, and, and the feeling of being scared and concerned and consumed, what does he do in that moment? Well, Jesus bends down to write on the ground. He, he bends down and writes on the ground. And in doing so, the focus shifts from her to him, from her to him. We don't know what he wrote on the ground. We don't know what that is. Perhaps it was his grocery list. We don't know. You see, clearly what he wrote was not important because the author never tells us. But what is important is that Jesus took a moment to push the pause button in the middle of an intense moment, in the middle of an angry mob, in the middle of an angry crowd where everybody was, 
It was just visceral, and everybody was feeding off of everybody else, and there was this tremendous, painful energy that was happening. What Jesus does is he, he took the moment to pause the crowd, to gather themselves. He lifts the tension by just kneeling down to the ground and takes the tension off of her and puts it on him in order to bring a perspective to everybody there that's holding a stone in their hand. Because when you're ready to throw a stone at somebody, that stone starts to get heavy until you throw it. And then he stands up and he does the unthinkable. See, he shifted the focus from her down to him, but now as he stands up, he shifts the focus from her to him, and now he puts the focus on the accusers. He shifts the focus to the keepers of the law carrying the stones. And he says, basically, which of you has no sin? Whoever that is, go ahead and cast the first stone. Which of you can keep all of the law all of the time? That's basically what he was asking them. Which one of you can keep all 613 laws all of the time? You're here to enforce them. Which one of you can keep all of them? What's interesting is that Jesus doesn't condemn the actions of the Pharisees or the Sadducees because in their mind, they were following the law. But he just simply asks them a question. And in doing so, puts them on their heels and I believe puts us on our heels because it's a question that reveals the struggle of the human condition. And the human condition is this, that nobody can keep all of the law all of the time, that we're all guilty of breaking God's law, including the very keepers of it. That's the irony of this story. And that's why they all eventually end up dropping their stones. You see, no one is left to condemn her because all are condemned by the law. None are left to condemn her because every single one of us are condemned by the law. And amazingly, Jesus, who is God, does not condemn her either. He is God, the righteous judge, right? If anybody was going to condemn her, it should have been God. Instead, he absolves her of her sin and her punishment. And see, perhaps what Jesus was writing on the ground, after all, was a single five-letter word that started with a G and ends with an E and has an R and an A and a C in the middle of it. Maybe he was writing the word grace. That in the love of Jesus Christ, that she has been set free from the law of sin and death. How do we know that? Well, because Paul tells about, us and tells about it in the book of Romans in the Bible. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. So look at this scene. You have the Pharisees who are there on this scene, and they came in the name of the Old Testament law. They came in the name of the 613 Old Testament laws, the covenant of God, and Jesus comes on the scene offering a new covenant offering the New Testament, a new promise that fulfills the law that the Pharisees are there to represent. So Jesus, who is God in the flesh, comes as a sin offering for her, and he comes as a sin offering for us to fulfill the law of sin and death. And in doing so, he winds up setting her free, and in doing so, gives a living example with her of what he does in our own life spiritually, setting us free, that we are no longer condemned, just like he looks at her and says, then neither do I condemn you by the law of sin and death, because I'm taking the place of that law. So the Pharisees couldn't condemn, and neither did God, because the love of Christ lifted condemnation. The love of Christ lifted condemnation. You guys remember the old hymn? Love lifted me, love lifted me. You guys are better at it than I am, praise God, right? The love of Christ lifted condemnation. You see, 
In Christ, you receive grace. And grace is the unmerited favor of God. And in grace, we don't get what we deserve. Instead, God and Jesus Christ takes on what we deserve, and Jesus gets what he didn't deserve. And that doesn't sound fair. That's grace. And that's what God gives us. He takes on the punishment for our sins. You see, rather than the woman being put to death, Jesus pardons her and gives her grace and therefore takes on the ire of the Pharisees onto himself who now seek to put Jesus to death. Did you see this transition? One second, the Pharisees are there to put her to death, and by the time it's all said and done, they drop all their stones, and they're going away now plotting and scheming on how they can put Jesus to death, friends. That's what Jesus did for you and me. He took her place, and he's taken yours. A living example of what the grace of God in Jesus Christ can do for a believer in him. You see, what Jesus does is he gives her grace, but he doesn't leave that there. It's not the end of the scene. There's verse 11, right? There's the end of the story. Jesus gives grace, but he also offers a little bit of truth. Interestingly, Jesus' response to the Pharisees and to the law and to this woman is not just with grace, but also with truth. He first gives the woman grace, and nobody's left to condemn her, not even God, but by the end of the conversation in verse 11, he says this, now go and leave this life of sin. Go and sin no more. See, in John chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says this about how Jesus came to this earth. For the law was given through Moses, but see, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth, truth and grace. Grace and truth are always eternally linked, but grace comes before truth, and that's how Jesus operated with this woman. He gave her grace, and then he gave her a piece of truth. He gives her grace that sets her free from the law of condemnation, and then he gives her truth that God has a better plan for her life. God has a better plan for her life than to remain in flesh, to remain in a sinful lifestyle. He calls her to a life in the purpose of the Holy Spirit of God, not a life in our human flesh. You see, friends, if we want to understand how amazing grace is, right? Amazing grace. I think there's a song written about that. If we want to understand just how amazing grace is, then the only way to do that is to take sin seriously. And the more seriously we take sin, the more sweet grace is in our life. The sweeter grace is in our life. And so grace is amazing when we recognize our desperate need for it and our brokenness. And that's what God shows us through Jesus Christ in the life of this woman. You see, Jesus gives grace first and then truth second. Christ loves her with gracious truth and thus fulfilling the law. And we're to love like Jesus with grace and truth as well. So to love like Jesus really means that we're not going to judge others. We're not going to condemn others for sinful actions and and for the words that they say or their behaviors. We're not going to throw stones. We're not going to be fault finders. We're not going to picket people. We're not going to point out people's flaws. We're not going to gossip about what so-and-so did. We're not going to be critical of other people. We're not going to point a finger at somebody to get the speck out of their eye because the problem when you point a finger at somebody with, with, with the speck in your eye, you have more fingers pointing back at yourself. When you point at somebody to condemn them, Jesus has one, two, three. Well, how far back does my thumb? I don't have an name. You got three or four fingers pointed back at you. And so here we are trying to pick the speck out of somebody else's eye. And the Bible says, meanwhile, you got a plank sticking out of your own eye. And the problem is, is when you're trying to correct somebody else, the plank sticking out of your eye is beating them on the head. And it ain't working. And that's why a lot of marriages wind up broken is because we're trying to fix the other person when God wants to fix us. When God wants to fix us, friends. And so we're going to learn to 
love like Jesus loved. We can't cast stones because we have all sinned and broken God's law, and we are all desperately in need of Jesus' loving grace in our life. And so like Jesus, we are going to live and we're going to love graciously toward other people. And what that means is, is we're gonna give people room to make mistakes. We're gonna ask questions. We're gonna listen when we ask questions. We're gonna be patient, friends. We're gonna assume the best in people. We're gonna forgive quickly and even lower expectations if need be. We're gonna show a loving care and then we're gonna be able to speak loving truth because people don't know how much you, they don't wanna know how much you, uh, let's see, how does that go? They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's just the way it is gonna be with people. You see, love doesn't lie. You gotta understand that. Love doesn't lie. Just as Jesus does not let this woman remain in a lifestyle of sin and adultery, we don't give approval and leave people in sin and say, that's okay. I understand that makes you happy. That's wonderful. How can I be supportive of that lifestyle choice you've made or the, the way you're gonna, you're gonna follow up with what that person did with you or how you're gonna hold on to that resentment or how you're gonna go, you know, you go out on Saturday night and do whatever. Hey, as long as that makes you happy. You know, Ephesians chapter four, verse 15 says, speak truth in love, speak truth in love. But that means checking your motives for sharing that truth. It doesn't mean that you go to them to prove a point. You're not going to somebody to make yourself feel better or to be able to just get that off of your chest. Get, you know, getting that off your chest, you're not going in the name of blessing somebody else. You're going in the name to make yourself feel better. God's not talking to us about that. We're not going to be mean-spirited, but we're going because we genuinely care about someone's salvation. We genuinely care about God's purpose of Jesus Christ in their life. We genuinely care to see them receive the same grace we've received and experience the same power of canceled sin in their life that we've received from the Holy Spirit of God. And so we walk patiently with them. We ease the tension. We push the pause button if need be. We don't condemn. We just maybe sometimes stoop down to the ground and write a little bit to give an opportunity for God to bring in a fresh perspective. And then when we do speak about God's truth, we speak from our own brokenness. We speak from our own struggle with sin. And we tell the story of how Christ has changed our life and he's shown us a better way to live. And that's what God does and desires for all of us, friends. And so together, we commit to be more like Jesus Christ. So you go, you're full of grace and you're full of humility and you say things like, listen, I was once lost and now I've been found. You talk to somebody and you say, listen, I... I was once a beggar and I found bread and I wanna share that bread with you. You see, it's a humble, gracious response. It's loving truth in their life. You see, once you give grace and care and it's given to them, then loving truth in Christ can be offered. See, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So let's love like Jesus and be gracious and not condemning. Let's offer loving truth without lying to somebody else because lying isn't loving. And along the way, Jesus is gonna show us what love is. You see, Jesus loved this woman graciously, and he wants us to do the same in other people's lives. He also loved truthfully, and he wants us to do that in other people's lives, but not until we've loved graciously. You see, it's interesting that the Bible says, for the law was given through Moses. It doesn't say that truth and grace came through Jesus Christ. It says grace and then truth came through Jesus Christ because it comes in that order. It always comes in that order. So let's land a plane. Action steps and we're done. Number one, receive the gracious, loving favor of Jesus Christ. Some of you here are online right now, you've just never given your heart fully to God and you're still holding on to things and, and God just wants all of your life. And so today is the day, don't go a day further than today than to receive the gracious, loving favor of Jesus Christ in your life. And it starts with the confession of sin. 
If you wanna experience how amazing grace is, then you gotta take sin seriously. And when we take sin seriously and we confess it to God and we repent, then all of a sudden the love of Jesus Christ and the heavens just open up and fill our hearts in amazing ways. Friends, don't go a day without that. Come see me afterwards if you wanna talk about what it means to know Jesus Christ. Secondly, drop a stone you are holding for someone. Friends, you got a stone in your hand right now and it's getting heavy. Maybe you got one in your back pocket because when you find that person, the next time you see him, you're opening up your back pocket and say, I got something for you. God wants you to drop that stone. We're all holding one for someone. Who is that and what stone is that? God is not just giving you a permission to drop that stone. God is giving you a command. Drop that stone because none of us can hold on to 613 laws all of the time. And that's why Jesus came to simplify it. Love God, love people, friends, and to love like him. You see, what's amazing is, is that foreigner has the answer to their question. I wanna know what love is, I want somebody to show me, and God says, here I am, I'm here to show you, and all you need to do is look at 1 John chapter four to find out the answer to that. So drop a stone that you're holding for someone, and then third, be gracious and truthful this week. Don't be truthful and then gracious. Be gracious and then truthful, okay? Be gracious and then truthful. And God is gonna say, I'm gonna show you what love is. I'm gonna show you what love is through the life, the death, and the resurrection of my son, Jesus Christ. And friends, that's what we're gonna do. And this is the season that we're in as we're on this journey of the broken road of Jesus Christ crucified, but then ultimately raised from the dead. And in that process, he lived to give us a model of what it means to really love. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we just give you tremendous thanks today, Lord God, for your incredible patience with us. Lord God, we give you incredible thanks because in some way we're all like this adulterous woman. We think, well, I haven't, you know, I haven't cheated on my, my husband or I haven't cheated on my wife. God, we know that you're not necessarily talking about that. We, we know that your word tells us that any time we put anything ahead of you, we treated that as an idol in our life. And that leads to idolatry, Lord God, which is the root for adultery. And so, Lord God, we want to confess to you here and now that we just don't want to carry any more sin in our life. We declare here and now that as the body of Jesus Christ, we're not tolerating sin in our own life anymore. Lord God, now hear this. We're not here to say we're not tolerating sin in other people's lives. That's not our job. Our job is to become intolerant of sin in our own life, Lord God. And so would you purify our hearts, Lord God, here and now? Would you bring your refining fire with the love that you've displayed to us, Lord God? Would you just take more of our sin away from us and replace it with more of your character? Here, God, you can have it because we want more of you, Lord God and less of us, more of your character, less of our selfishness, Lord God, more of your love and more of your power, more of you in our life. And Lord God, we know, we know, and thank you, Lord God, for making it this simple. When we pass your love on and the power of your Holy Spirit to somebody else, your love becomes more complete in us. Thank you, God, for showing us the way because of your truth and because of the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've given us a living example. Thank you, God. We need that in our life. Lord God, would you allow your love to come to bear over this congregation? And would you allow us to deeply and truly love you more than we've ever loved you before? Would you open up our hearts and our minds to love somebody that we haven't been able to love before? Would you increase our capacity to love one another? 
Would we we allow one another to feel the love of God in this place because of the radical love we're going to show one another as a result of today? Not in judgment, not in casting stones, Lord God, but living as the example of your son, Jesus Christ, and giving grace and truth. Lord God, would you allow your love to fall afresh on us? Mend hearts, mend relationships. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Lord God, we pray all this in your name, the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, as we sing this closing song, there may be some loving action that God wants to do in your life. He may, he may want to make a change in your life. He's doing something. He's on the move. And in order to express that, you're just going to get up out of your seat and do something you don't normally do. And that, that is, you may raise a holy hand while you're singing. You may reach out both hands to God. You, you may make your way forward because you just want to be closer to God. You've got a prayer request you need to give to God. You just want to praise God, so you want to come up and talk to somebody about it. You just want to get down on your knees and worship the king. I, I, you know, however God wants you to do that. And you think, well, I don't know what somebody in this room is going to think about that. What do you mean? We, we love each other in this room. We love each other in this room. We've got a love for each other, friends, and we're going to express ourselves to God in that love. Holy Spirit, high fives, handshakes, raising holy hands on our knees, praying, confessing sin, hanging out together. Because love is the key to a renewal of the Holy Spirit in our life. Love is the key to understanding who Jesus is, and love is the key to reconciling relationships. And we haven't figured it out, but God has. God has, and in him we have the victory. Let's stand and sing. The altar is open, friends. Above the heavens, the earth and all creation. 